Thank you so much for being here this morning. Uh, Landon, as well as several others, are gone to Canada on a mission trip, so you have to deal with me for this Sunday. It's always a privilege to get to, to preach, and uh, uh, I love being able to teach God's Word to you and having that opportunity. Uh, so we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. We've been chugging along in Hebrews through the summer, and for weeks now we've talked about how Jesus is our better high priest. Uh, He's the high priest of a better covenant, as uh, Hunter just read about. Through the blood of Christ, through the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us, we have now entered into a time of which followers of Jesus uh, are experiencing an entirely new way of life. Uh, The writer of the book of Hebrews is writing to a group of Jewish believers, Jewish followers who have believed that Jesus is the Messiah. They've trusted him as their Lord and Savior. And because of that belief, they are now experiencing this new wave of persecution like never before. And these guys, they're looking at their lives, counting the cost, trying to figure out if it's worth it. And they've gone through this whole situation. They're dealing with these new issues. And because of their belief, because of their faith in Jesus, uh, they're starting to have persecution in their lives. And uh, they want to give up. They don't want to keep going. Uh, They want to go back to the way things used to be. It was easier. And they want to go back to that way. And so the writer here in the book of Hebrews is trying to tell them to press on. Is going to talk about that mainly here in, in Hebrews chapter 10. And as we've looked at, uh, at this, for this series, just a reminder, negatively, Hebrews was written to warn Christians about the danger of falling away. Hebrews 2.1. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that a lot this morning. Uh, but positively, Hebrews was written to encourage Christians to persevere in the faith. You know, when I was studying for um, Hebrews 10, it reminded me of one of my all-time favorite movies, Remember the Titans. Anybody seen Remember the Titans? And it's based on a true story. It's a story of a group of guys who were forced to play football together. The only problem, that was one group of the men came from an all-white school, and one group of the men came from an all-black school. Two schools merged to become T.C. Williams High School in Alexandria, Virginia. And not only were tensions high on this football team, but tensions were high in their city. Uh, Tensions were high across the entire country. So these guys go off to football camp. And they have to spend two weeks together. You can see this in the movie if you watch the movie. But at camp, these guys have a chance to spend time with one another. They get a chance to know one another Um, friendships are made and a brotherhood is formed between these guys. But then something happens in the movie. They go back home. Back to a world filled with people who didn't want them to be together. Back to a world where it was difficult to stay friends. Back to a world that didn't want them to have success in anything that they were doing. So... In the process of this, they win a few football games. Just barely, but they win a few football games. And on the eve of a very 
difficult opponent coming up, some captains of the team call a private meeting. And this is some of the dialogue that happens. Coach Boone brought us this far, y'all, but he ain't going to be there for us forever. So what? We won a few games. And y'all fools think that's something? Man, that ain't nothing, y'all. And you know what else? We ain't nothing either. Yeah, we came together at camp. Cool. But then we're right back here and the world tells us they don't want us to be together. And we fall apart like we ain't a bit of nothing, man. And y'all think we've done one something? Man, we ain't won nothing, y'all. Nothing. I know we're paraphrasing there, okay? I have to go through that. But we can relate. We can relate to this. We know what it's like to have struggle. We know what it's like uh, when we want to give up, when life is difficult. You know what it's like to face difficulties. In all of my years of youth ministries, one of the biggest struggles that I ever saw was teenagers struggle as they came back home from youth camp. And I'm going to be honest with you, it was a struggle for the adults as well. Because you come back from spending a week with one another, spending time with one another, growing with the Lord together, worshiping in in worship services several times a day, laughter, just bonding. And then you have to come back to, quote unquote, the real world. It's amazing how many times students would come to me and be like, I just want to go back to camp. Can we just stay there forever? Well, no, we can't. We have to come back and we have to face the difficulties of this world. So Hebrews was a book written to these help these Jewish Christians remember what Jesus had accomplished for them. Uh, and as we're going to look at today, to endure in the midst of persecution. And that leads us to the main point of this scripture. Uh, true followers of Christ not only obey God, but will faithfully endure in the midst of persecution. They not only obey God, but they faithfully endure. So Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to pick up where Hunter left off, starting in verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much more worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, 
who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you for your word. And what an encouragement to look at the promises that you have given to us. Even in this passage, the promises of your presence, the promises of your being with us in the middle of the storm. Father, we just ask this morning that you would speak through your word. I pray that anyone that does not know you in this room this morning would have their hearts softened by your word, softened by your spirit. Father, we just ask that those of us who do know you could be encouraged by this. And even in the midst of difficulties in our lives, we would be able to stand firm and endure Everything that happens in our lives. Father, be with us this morning. Let your words uh, ring truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you need to pay very close attention to the word therefore in verse 19. Because we've come to a part uh, in all the previous chapters of Hebrews. We've been leading up to this therefore. Okay, Everything's kind of been pointing to this. Okay, this is truth, this is truth, this is truth. We've laid it out for the last nine weeks. All of these things are true. Therefore, this is how you should adjust your life accordingly. And so this marks a whole new section of the book of Hebrews. And from this point moving forward, we're going to see encouragement. We're going to see what we should do in this life. And so all of this truth, now, therefore... What Jesus accomplished on the cross gives us, as as Christians, some privileges that in in the relationship with God, God the Father, that we've never had before. So let's look at these privileges that we now have in Christ. Number one, confidence to enter into the presence of God. Verse 19, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus... And I know Landon hit on this last week, and I asked Jake. Jake's going to sing this song here in a moment. But we're going to sing There is a Fountain. And as awkward as Landon said that that um, hymn is to so many people that don't know what it means, uh, we're going to sing it. Because I do want us to stop, and I want us to slow down, and I want us to really digest what that truly means. You know, some churches today 
do all that they can to take the blood language out of uh, the Bible. Uh, Jesus loves us. Uh, Jesus is gracious to us. He's very merciful to us. All of those things they love to talk about. But when it comes to a crucified Savior... When it comes to a blood-soaked cross, when, it ta- when you go to uh, a crown of thorns and nails, when it talks about a grave, a lot of people try to dodge that. They get uh, offended by that. But we need to understand, yes, God does love us. He does extend grace and mercy to us. But it was through the laying down of Jesus, his own son's life. He laid down his life by the shedding of his blood to cover your sins. And so the sanctuary refers to the most holy place in the tabernacle uh, that only the high priest could go into. If anyone tried to enter into the Holy of Holies without permission or without going through the right ritual steps, they died. Uh, Oftentimes the the high priest, they would tie a rope around his his ankle. That way if he goes in there and they they have bells on them so that when they're moving around they can hear these bells. And if they ever heard the bells go and stop, Pull them back out, right? They entered into the presence of God the wrong way. And so you had to enter into the right way. And you could not go through the curtain into the Holy of Holies without proper. And here we're going to see that because the curtain, and they, they touch base with the curtain and the flesh of Christ. And when Jesus shed his blood, and when he was buried, when he said it is finished and he took his last breath, and the veil was torn. The curtain was torn from top to bottom. And we're seeing here that we now have access and we have confidence to enter into the presence of God because of what Jesus accomplished. Uh, This allows us to have an entirely new understanding of God and a new understanding of what Jesus did on the cross. Us to be, and for these new believers, you got to think of how awkward this has to be for them. You're telling me that now I can go into the very presence of God without all of this other stuff. This was an, a new way of thinking. Uh, I remember growing up uh, Thanksgiving at my Aunt Pat's house. As a, and this is a very bad illustration of trying to make a point here, but I'm going to give it a shot anyway. She had this upstairs uh, area at Thanksgiving, and they would always tell the children, if you go upstairs... That bedroom on the right, it, it, there's a monster up there, and you don't need to go up there. It's, it's scary. So we were always petrified. What they were trying to do is keep us off the stairs, right? They didn't want us to play on the stairs. Where All children, where do they go? Straight to the stairs. So that was their way of trying to keep us off the stairs. And we were for years petrified to go up those stairs because of what was in that room. Uh, growing up, we realized it was just her sewing room. Okay, which that is a monster. Let's just be honest. So, um, but as we will sing about shortly, all because sinners were plunged beneath that flood, the flood of the blood of Jesus, and because we have been made clean, we lose all of our guilty stains. We can have confidence to enter into the presence of God. And God, Jesus, now that this has happened, now because of the blood of Jesus, the writer of Hebrews is telling these guys, You now can go into the presence of God with confidence. Uh, But not just to enter into the presence of God, but number two, draw near with a pure heart. Because of the work that Jesus accomplished as our high priest, 
The writer here says, we can draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith. So who can we draw near to? The Father. And in what manner? In full assurance. Imagine that for a second. Again, going back to God's people throughout all of their history. They've always had to encounter God through a pillar of fire by night, a pillar of a cloud by day. Uh, In the tent of meeting, they saw the pillar of cloud come down on the tent of meeting that only a few people were allowed to enter into. So all of these very distant relationship with God. Even when, uh, when uh, God encountered Moses on the mountaintop and all the, uh, the cloud and the lightning and the thunder. And we see that that was how they have always encountered God from a distance. But now they're, you're telling them they have full access. It all changes here because of what Jesus has done. Because of the blood of the Lamb of God. Full assurance of faith has been a matter of debate for centuries in the church. Many Christians struggle with thinking that they're truly saved. And I know, um, I flip over to 1 John just for a second. 1 John chapter 5. Because God grants assurance, not on the basis of man's faith, but on the basis of Christ's faithfulness. Not on anything that we have done, but on what Jesus has done, what he's accomplished. 1 John chapter 5, we're going to be reading in verse 13. It says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And the author of Hebrews wants his people to know what they have. And he wants his people to know that they should hold on tight to it. Not to give up. Which leads us to our next point. Number three. Hold fast the confession of our hope. And out to the side there. I don't know if I left it blank or not. Or if I filled in the blank for you. But you can write past. Because here we're going to see the author of Hebrews address all aspects of time. Past, present, and future. So with this confidence that we now have, with this assurance that we now have, the writer employs us to hold on to the confession of our hope. So what's, what confession of our hope? First of all, that Jesus is Lord. Second of all, that Jesus saves. What he accomplished brings salvation to those who believe. The writer here is encouraging us to hold on, to hold fast. Because our God is faithful. And these guys have seen how God has been faithful throughout all their people's history. Throughout all the stories of what God has done. How he's been with them. And they can hold fast to those promises. Because there's a whole lot of other promises in there. That are going to be uh, fulfilled in the future. And they can hold fast to those things. Flip over to John chapter 6. Jesus is going to affirm... His faithfulness, that faithfulness that we can hold on to, that we can hold fast. John chapter 6, we're going to be in verse 37 and 38. It says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. 
For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but for the will, for the will of him who sent me. We are to hold fast to that hope. We, are, we should That should lead us to the here and now. Uh, as all these things that have happened in the past, all of God's faithfulness in the past should lead us now to the present, uh, to number uh, our fourth point. Stir one another up to love and good works. Stir one another up to love and good works, which is the present. Here in verse 24, uh, he shifts to the here and now. How this should change. All of these ways of thinking, yes, but how should it change the way we live now? And he's going to stress the importance of fellowship. And the church's role in the life of a believer to persevere to the end. We cannot have confidence apart from the church. Let me say that again. We cannot have confidence apart from the church. We need each other. We cannot endure in isolation. We cannot do it on our own. Uh, We cannot neglect gathering together for times of corporate worship and prayer and encouragement. In verses 24 and 25, you're going to hear some strong words of judgment against those who are in the habit of neglecting meeting together with other believers. To say, I can do this alone, to say, I don't need the church, is to disobey blatantly the command of Christ. You may have heard some people say, well, I can find better preaching on the internet. Why do I need to go to church? Well, today that might be true. But on most Sundays, that's not necessarily true. Uh, I think we're very blessed with our pastor. I kind of enjoy listening to him Sunday after Sunday. And maybe you can use the excuse that you're too busy. Or you don't understand. I work six days a week. This is the only day I have off. This is the only day I get to sleep in. Like I said, this is the very command of Christ. He commands us to do so. Christians should be doing everything in their power to meet together. Not just because they need to be fed the word of God, but also because it is part of stirring one another up to to love and good works. That is what God has created us to do. And when we meet together, when we study God's word together, when we can encourage one another at church, that is what God, that is what the writer of Hebrews is telling these guys they need to be a part of. Which leads us to the fifth point. Anticipate Christ's return. Which is the future. This is something that we should look forward to. That we should anticipate. My daughter Abigail, five years old, asked me the other day when that cold front blew through. You know that day it was 83, that cold front. She said, how close is Christmas, Dad? Are you kidding me right now? 83 and you're thinking about Christmas. But her anticipation for Christmas is already growing, right? Some of you Christmas nuts out there, y'all may be already anticipating that. So just so y'all know, we're 143 days away from Christmas. (laughs) Just in case you were wondering. My anticipation right now is firmly based on college football. And just for those of you who wanted to know... It's 20 days away. Amen. Amen. Yes. I'm anticipating college football. My wife, on the other hand, is anticipating school starting. And that is 
13 days away. Anybody else anticipating that? Or excuse me, 15 days away. Anybody school? No? All you teachers ready? Y'all can throw something at me later. But here, the author of Hebrews wants us to have an eager anticipation for the future. The day, found here in verse 25, is talking about the day in which Jesus will return. Christ will call his church together, and on that day he will judge those who do not belong to it. He will rejoice with those who do belong to him. Anticipation of Christ's return should be a part of our daily life. I don't know about you, but when I wake up and my back is sore, I know it's an old age thing, you can make fun of me later. And when, you know, you just think, oh, I can't wait for heaven, that's going to be so awesome, right? No more pain, no more all this other stuff. But anticipation of Jesus coming back and taking his church home and us living forever in the presence of God, that should be something that we think about daily. That anticipation that should grow inside of us. And when we live with that anticipation in our life, it makes meeting together now in the church, now in the present, even more important. Even spe- it even makes it even more special. It makes doing those things, the love and the good works, all the more urgent and significant. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. The Bible describes the, that time Jesus coming back like a thief in the night. Uh, but one thing we do know is it's going to happen because God said it was going to happen. And he's been faithful to all of his other promises. He's going to be faithful to this one. It will happen. Jesus will return. And we must remain ready. The writer immediately shifts from privileges to a fearful warning. Verse 26, here in Hebrews 10. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. I don't know about you, but that seems kind of shocking. The Greek word translated here deliberately is actually found at the beginning of the sentence. And I think the writer is trying to make a point. Do not remain in sin. Now, earlier in Hebrews, we, uh, Landon talked about having assurance of salvation. Uh, how we can, you know, the way that we can know. And I think we even joked that Sunday that he hates the phrase, once saved, always saved. And I understand exactly the point he was making. But, and while I do believe that once you are saved, you are saved forever. And I think that's 100% true. It leaves us to wrestle with this verse. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Okay, so I don't know you, but I know me. And I would be willing to bet that you like me, have deliberately sinned? Yes? Okay, I won't let you answer. I know the answer already. But we've deliberately sinned. And this should make us feel very uncomfortable. should make us feel very uncomfortable. But let me tell you what this is not saying. This is not saying 
The sin we commit nullifies Jesus' sacrifice for us. That's not what it's saying. Rather, it means that if you continue in sin and refuse to repent, then you essentially reject the gospel and willingly walk the path that leads to destruction. You have made a decision. I don't need the blood of Jesus. I'm continuing down this path of destruction. And in that sense, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Which brings us to knowing what the author means by receiving the knowledge of truth. This is referring to those who hear and for those who know the gospel and still deliberately reject it. Even though they understand the truthfulness of the gospel. Even though they understand the truth hidden in the gospel. You know, it breaks my heart for years and years of student ministry. In which students came and they confessed their love and devotion and uh, for Jesus for years and years, right? And they played the church game and heard the truth, yet now they want nothing to do with Jesus and they want nothing to do with the church. And you would have thought these were the pillars of the youth group. And yet now today, some of them do not want anything to do with Jesus and they don't want anything to do with the church. Uh, as the leadership and the student ministry, all the years of one of the things that we, you know, would talk about through all of those years of ministry and all of those years of heartbreak is how some of them would just walk away. But here's the deal. If I could make the decision for them, I would make the right one. But it's still a decision that they have to make. It's still a choice that they have to make on their own. And it, there is a very strong and stern warning for people like that, that live in that manner. There can be no forgiveness for sins. You know, headlines in the news uh, this year. This was a headline in the news this year. From a former pastor and author of many books that I even encouraged some of our teenagers to read during my years of youth ministry. In 2015, this pastor resigned as a pastor to pursue, pursue a graduate degree from British Columbia. And around the time he left his position as pastor, he publicly apologized for what he had come to see as errors in his writings. This pastor is also making headlines this week, this very week. It's kind of amazing how that happened right as I was about to preach on this. He is quoted as saying this, I am not a Christian. After a recent divorce from his wife, he wrote this this week and publicized it through all these news networks. Many people tell me that there is a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now. I don't view this moment negatively. I feel very much alive and awake and surprisingly hopeful. He goes on to say this, I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase for this is falling away. These are his words, not mine. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Simply heartbreaking. That someone who was a pastor of a church, someone that wrote some very, very good books, in which I'm going to be honest with you, the books that he wrote, I still agree with 100%, and I would tell any teenager to read. But this is his stance today. 
This is what this scripture is warning us against. This very fearful warning. Matthew chapter 13. Jesus warns about such people. He spoke of the gospel message uh, of the seed falling on shallow ground and showing immediate, immediate signs of life, but dying when the persecution came. So Matthew chapter 13, you can flip over there if you want to. We're going to start reading in verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what is sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Initial signs of life, initial sign of life, does not always describe regeneration. It may only be spiritual interest. And that's where I think we need to wrestle with this scripture. Have I truly trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior? Or is this just a spiritual interest that I'm participating in? Because right here in the middle of Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews gives us a very fearful warning for people like that. Hell is full of people who have a clear understanding of the gospel, but never bowed the knee to Jesus as Christ as King. To Jesus Christ as King. And the verses following let us know what's in store for those who remain on that path. We can expect justice for our sin rather than forgiveness for sins. Those who reject Jesus and the sacrifice that is offered through Jesus, the Son of God, they make themselves enemies with God and will be subject to his wrath. And so that is my heads up for you here in this this warning passage in the middle of Hebrews. And if you didn't need any more motivation than that to remain faithful, we're going to look at our motivations to remain faithful to God. First of all, we need to remember how far we have come. Remember how far we have come. The author of Hebrews goes through some details of what his early church was experiencing. Verses 32 through 34 uh, talk about some of the situations that they were facing. uh, Hard struggles, sufferings, publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Partners with those being treated that way. All of these things people in the church were dealing with. And so these early believers chose to identify with Jesus, and because of the stand that they choose to to take, society shamed them. And even though that they knew that they would be shamed, even though they knew they would be ridiculed, they chose to remain grounded in Christ. And that's where some of these guys were just counting the cost. Maybe this is not the right thing for us. Maybe this is too difficult. And as Christians, we must be willing to endure the same types of persecution. Now, although we live in the good old U.S. of A., And we don't see a whole lot of this happening. We're starting to see a little more and more of that. Uh, The persecution and and ridicule and being made fun of for what we believe. The verbal abuse, the mockery, the shame. We live in a world, in a world, and and very much it's becoming our country, uh, that does not want Jesus as king. Does not want Jesus to be in charge of anything in our lives. 
And so that may mean in the future we become victims of more verbal abuse or, or mockery or shame. But they also chose to show compassion for those who were in prison. And even though they were not in prison themselves, they chose to show compassion on those who were in prison. When we face difficulties, we need to remember those who have gone before us. This is not a new rodeo. This has been happening for all of God's people's history. Throughout all of the history of God's people, they have faced difficulties. They have faced persecution. But one thing that has always remained faithful is that God has been with them every step of the way. And regardless of whether that meant um, their success in the Bible or whether that meant they went to the grave. Because both happen. When people choose to take a stand for God, when people choose to take a stand for Christ... It's amazing what God chooses to do in their lives. But one thing that we can know, one thing that we can, that we can totally put our trust in is that God will go with us and that he will get the glory in our lives if we choose to remain faithful to him. They even had their property stolen, which leads us to our next point. Remember what we have in heaven. We have to remember how far we've come, but we also need to remember what we have in heaven. These early believers counted it as a joy when they lost their stuff because of their relationship with Christ. I don't know about you, but if somebody came in and took my house and my stuff, I'd probably get upset. Anybody else? But here we see they counted it as joy. Why? Because they believed God's promises. And the writer of Hebrews here wants to remind them that something better awaits. Something better is in store. They knew they had a heavenly kingdom with heavenly possessions awaited them for those who rejoiced in this moment. And so they have to trust in that. On the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus going through what we know as the Beatitudes, he concludes like this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And Jesus is just reminding these followers, listen, this is old news. This has happened all throughout history. This is happening today. And guess what? It's going to happen into the future. And we should count it joy. We should be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. We may lose everything for the sake of Christ. But in an eternal sense, we have lost nothing. Possessions, friends, family, even the comforts of this life are nothing in comparison to the possessions that await us in our heavenly home. And even as the readers of the book of the New Testament, what we gain when we endure persecution can never be taken away from us. As verse 34 tells us, a better possession and an abiding possession. One that cannot be taken away from you. These believers understood what those treasures that awaited would last. They would endure this knowledge helped them earlier in their faith journey, but it also served as a reminder to them to press on, to continue on with what they were doing, to not give up. The finish line is coming. Stay the course. Finish the race. 
which lastly uh, leads us to our greatest reminder to finish strong is Jesus is coming soon. You know, I put this in two points. We should anticipate Christ coming, but we need to remember he is coming. And the author here quotes from Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Um, and he's trying to connect to the future, the future of God's people with the past. He's trying to connect them with the past. And, and when Habakkuk speaks uh, here in chapter 2, he's speaking of God's judgment on Judah for refusing to do the will of God. And he wants, to, he wants this reminder in the book of Habakkuk to God's people in Judah to point us to this impending judgment that will happen when Jesus returns. He's connecting the Old Testament as we've seen time and time again that happens. He's connecting something that happens in the Old Testament with something that's going to happen in the future. And the writer of the book of Hebrews wants us to understand that this impending judgment that will happen when Jesus returns. And the same way that it happened in Habakkuk is the same thing that's going to happen when Jesus returns again. And so his, he is coming soon, so we must continue to do the will of God and not draw back from the faith. Verse 38 is very clear. The Lord finds no pleasure in us when he returns if we do not go on living by faith. Verse 39, the author expresses the confidence that he wants his readers to have to remind them that their identity, their strength, their strength, everything that they are is grounded in what Christ has done to make us right with the Father again. Verse 39, we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. And even Jesus tells us, Revelation chapter 22, surely I am coming soon. And so I hope these warning passages uh, keep us as believers from spiritual laziness, from spiritual you know, complacency. And before these guys hear Hebrews 11, before these guys are going to step into these um, fathers of the faith, okay, uh, they must be reminded to press on. They must be reminded to not give up, to persevere in their faith. Uh, and before these guys can even be associated with the guys in the next chapter, they must make an effort not to draw back from Christ. So back to remember the Titans. Uh, there's a young man named Rev on the team. Okay, Rev. Uh, little preacher man. Constantly the motivator. Constantly the captain. Constantly the leader that uh, placed on this team. All the guys looked up to him. And one of the guys reminds... The team reminds the team uh, when they're in this meeting of something that Rev told him along the way. And he quotes a little Isaiah chapter 40. Now, I will just tell you this. I kind of said earlier, I kind of quoted it in the way that it was said. I am not going to sing it, just so y'all know. Isaiah 40. He says this. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And we have to remember the promises of God. We have to remember 
what God has done for us. Revelation 21. One of my favorite promises is found almost at the very end of the Bible. And it says, behold, a dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from our eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be... Uh, mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write them down, for these, are words, these words are trustworthy and true. Well, I don't know about you, but if he says, Write it down, it's going to happen, you should probably pay attention to it. God, Jesus is returning. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, in that moment that he returns, it will be too late to make a decision. It will be too late to be a follower of Jesus. Today is the day for salvation. Let me just encourage you that if you do not know Jesus or you do not have a relationship with Jesus, there's some fearful warnings here found in Hebrews chapter 10 of what awaits you if you do not have a relationship with Jesus. I would love to introduce you to him. Because God loves you so much that he sacrificed his son so that you could be made right with him. So I hope and pray that you have a relationship with him today. For those of you who are followers of Christ, let me just encourage you that the difficulties of this life, the persecutions that you may face, uh, being made fun of, these are all very temporary And someday Jesus will return and he will give you a great reward for your faithfulness to him. And here the writer of Hebrews chapter 10 is encouraging us to press on. To fight the good fight. To finish the race as we've seen in other places of scripture. We have, we can trust in what Jesus has done to us to carry us every step of the way. You know, Here in in Revelation 21, it says, the dwelling place of God is with man. You know, we started that way. In the garden, Genesis, we see that God was in a relationship with man. But we messed it up. Sin entered into the world. And ever since then, it's been through the Old Testament and through what Jesus accomplished on on the cross, all of that was leading up to what Jesus did. So, We have to put our faith and our trust in Jesus in order to have life with the Father again. In order to have a dwelling place with God in heaven. 